You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good Tuesday morning. I am Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 18th, 2023, episode 3164. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. The CHA crew is out and about gathering intel for upcoming episodes. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece from the Hit'em Audio Vaults featuring Glenn and Christy Landwehr and a trio of guests. Good morning, Horse World! Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. I got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Help you, I can't. Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. And coming up on today's show, Jeffrey Shaw brings his equestrian and engineering skills to bear, and he's going to have an explanation of the world's first smart halter. You heard it first here. And then Marla Foreman explains successive approximation and how it fits into your teaching toolbox. And then finally... Val McCloskey answers the question, is it a leg yield or is it a side pass? Stay tuned for the fray, folks. Uh, us horse husbands think they all look the same. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> 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 you are listening to the CHA version of our show. And Christy comes on here the third Tuesday of every month. And I, every month, I can't believe it's the third Tuesday already. And she is here, and we're going to be talking a lot about some fun stuff today. But Christy, uh, you are have a conference coming up, so let's just mention that real quick. Sure. The conference is going to be October 24th through 26th in um, Houghton College, which is right by Buffalo, New York. So for anyone listening, um, you can go ahead and come to it. Just put HRN for Horse Radio Network in the coupon code box on our website and you can come for CHA member pricing. It's open to everybody, not just instructors. Uh, We have all kinds of activities and the best thing is you get to ride horses in the conference. It's not just hotel-based and these horses, oh my goodness, most of Houghton College's horses are very nice. Lots of warm bloods, lots of thoroughbreds, lots of good quarter horses. It's a really, really good herd. Fun to ride. Very good. And what's the website again? It is CHA.horse. Very good. Well, before we get to talking about something serious like colic and leading into our first guest, I wanted to, because one of our guests, the last guest today, had a little accident, right? Yes, she did. And I'm sure she'll share it with us. And bless her heart, she's still going to come to conference on crutches and do her (laughs) talk because that's how we roll. (laughs) So I'm pretty impressed with her. Well, everybody that rides horses falls off at one time or another. And the horse and hound, our friend Pippa Room over there is the editor. And she wrote this article and I thought it was funny. I thought I'd chat with you about it and see how true this is between you and Jennifer. 
and how many of us have all fallen off. But it seems like one thing you can guarantee about falling off is that everybody around you is going to have a comment. And I have been guilty of making those comments, too, because I've seen Jennifer fall off a few times. So uh, here's comments that you've all heard. And this is your mom now. Your mom will say, well, I'm glad that happened now so your trainer can see what you keep doing. Also, why didn't you hold on to the reins? Honestly, you never learn. It'll take hours to catch that horse now. (laughs) (laughs) So much care. So much love. (laughs) You've both dealt with moms at you both dealt with moms of both kinds, the kind that drop their kid off and disappear and never come back and seem to leave their kid there for 12 hours and the kind who hover, right, and watch every little thing. Oh, yeah, thing. the helicopter mom. Yeah, yeah, that's this mom, right? This one that watches everything and wondering why you're not doing it right all the time. Yes. yes. And let's just start with, um, yeah, it's not always good to hold on to the reins when the horse is dragging you through the arena. It's not always yeah. good to hold on to the reins when the carriage is in a runaway either. So uh, there's those two things. Uh, Dad, seriously, I drove you halfway across the country. You fell off at the first fence. I should have stayed home and watched football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one's pretty good. <laughs> Jennifer, your dad ever say that? When he... No, no, he didn't say that. No. <laughs> He's so nice. Now, wait a minute. Now, to be devil's advocate, is it better if you fall off at the ninth? Fall off at the ninth fence? Somehow, it's less likely your dad's going to be mad. No, no, but you, no, but well, see, I, you know, though, as a horse husband, I really want to see some action before you fall off. Um, so <laughs> at least it could be worthwhile. And it, there you go. <laughs> the trainer, are you okay? Does anything hurt? Can you remember what day of the week it is? All the while thinking, oh, Lord, I don't want to fill in any health and safety forms over this. So, yes. Correct. Yeah. The forms are a pain. The incident reports, all the things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we don't like filling those out. Yeah. No, you know, paperwork. You're uh, fine. Like you're my fine. mom used Get to up. say, you're fine. Good. I don't care how much you're bleeding. You're fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> the boss, how many broken bones this time? How many days of sick leave? <laughs> Sick leave? They have different bosses than we do. Yeah, they're lucky. Yeah. The other half. For goodness sake, why don't you just hold on or take up gardening? <laughs> How about your horse? That's what you were thinking, Glenn. Yeah, that's right. That's what you yeah, were thinking. I knew, I knew. I learned very quickly on as a horse boyfriend not to actually say that. It was not. Uh, You're don't smart. Say You're very anything. trainable. That's what I learned. When they lose... And when they fall off, you don't say anything because nothing you say, no matter how good you think it's going to be to help the situation, is going to help the situation. You just say nothing. Horsey friend. Oh, no. What happened? Did you hurt yourself? How are you going to put that? How are you going to put that right before your next event? I think horsey friends just try and say something. Um, because they know they're going to be in that situation soon, too. The non-horsey friend is better. They laugh. Can I see the video? Can I see the bruises? (laughs) (laughs) Did you put it on YouTube? And, of course, (laughs) one of the classics, and this is your other non-horsey friend. What? You fell off? You've been riding for years. Surely you should know how to do it by now. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That one. Everybody's heard that one. (laughs) Yes, everyone has that friend. (laughs) (laughs) So now on to colic, the more serious topic. Yes. So, you know, Glenda, this is still the number one killer of horses in the country. 
I believe unfortunately. It. I believe it. And do you, but do you know what the second one is? Oh. Hauling them in a trailer. Trailer accidents? Yes. Uh-uh. Really? Yes. Yes. I didn't Isn't know that. that scary? That's pretty that. scary. Because you know yeah. you don't you hear about trailer accidents, but in the general scope of things, you don't hear about them that often. Not like no, horses think, colicking. Correct. Yeah. Which you hear about all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I think there is a big jump in between the number one and the number two. But yes, that's kind of wild, isn't it? Huh. So we've had a lot of horses colic over the years, some with good results in the end and some not. Right. Yeah. I think if you've had horses for a long period of time. I don't care who you are. You're going to have a colic situation at some point or another. You've experienced it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Our our neighbor just recently had one. I mean, it's just, it's part of it. We actually have a really cool neighborhood that will knock at each other's door. Do you have any paste banamine? Knock, knock, knock. Do you have any paste butte? We'll do things <laughs> like that for each other all the time. Because you know how you run out and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to definitely, next time my vet's here, get more. And then it just never happens. Right. So we have a really good neighborhood that helps each other with that kind of stuff. Because sometimes that kind of stuff can help while you're waiting for the vet. You know, the paste banamine can certainly kick in sometimes. We were recording a retired racehorse last night, and Joy lives up, up on the north. She lives in like Michigan. And um, she she said it's getting chilly up there. It's getting to the time where it gets really chilly and then really warm and, it, you know, colic season starts. Um, wow, the barometric so, pressure change. Yeah, yes. So she's worried about, she said, you know, it's that time of year where we have to worry about that. When the rest of the country, the bottom half of the country is still like a thousand degrees. So it's like, yes. But yeah. isn't that weird how barometric pressure change can make such a big difference? You know, here in Colorado, we have those crazy temperature changes too, where we'll be 80 in the morning and, you know, 40 in the afternoon with a snow flurry. We do that kind of stuff kind of crazily too. And that does really affect horses. So is that worse or is it spring spring grass that causes more trouble? You know, I think, I don't know. I think for the colic perspective, I think sometimes it's barometric pressure changes more. You know what the the grass causes is the founder and the laminitis, right? right, right. right? So That's, yeah. And stress, yeah. I guess. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so we've all had it. Um, and there's always this, and I've heard both sides of this now and read reports recently about Keep them walking. Don't keep them walking. Yes, it's both right now. I would agree with that. Maybe it, for Jeffrey years has it was just answer. keep them walking. I mean, there was no uh-huh. argument. It's just Correct. been recently. What in the last couple of years we've seen articles coming out about is that a good idea? Right. Maybe we'll stress them more. Correct. Very interesting. What's your theory? My theory is that I'm old school. I walk them. Yeah, we do too. I can't tell you as a yeah. horse husband how many times I spent till midnight walking horses. And then yeah, you always really are asking, slow. it's like you know, on a long trip, time. the horse husband, after about half an hour, 45 minutes of walking is saying, are we there yet? Are we done yet? <laughs> <laughs> Can I please put him away? Looks fine to, to me. <laughs> Everything's great. Yeah. Well, you know what does work? And I swear to you, this works. You know how the minute you put them in a trailer, they poop. We used to do that a lot for colic. If we felt like they had a little oh, bit really? of a bellyache, we threw them in the trailer and we just drove around the neighborhood and they would come back pretty good with a poop in there. I never uh-huh. thought about that, but that is a yeah. good idea, actually. Yeah, it works pretty well. That is a good idea. So now do you do, and this this involves colic, actually, uh, it's something that even when we had the big barn, we didn't do. But I know there's a lot of people who have their own farms that do this, and that's night check. 
Um, yes, yeah? I know a lot of barns that do that. We don't hear, no, because we only have our two private horses and our pony, so we don't hear. But um, I know a lot of boarding barns that do. They'll do like the right before they go to bed night check. Yeah, we just never did. I don't know why. Jennifer, by the time we were done in the barn after 12, 14 hours, she's like, I'm done in the barn. I don't want to go out there at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> no, it's good. They're Her fine. theory was, why are we waking them up? <laughs> you know, they just got well, settled in. Why are we waking them up? Uh-huh. Yeah. And even that, yeah. you know, and then some, you know, if you leave your horses out, it's kind of hard sometimes if they're the back of the 12 acre pasture. Right. Um, to be able to go and find them and see them. And, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of one of the ways to help prevent it is to, is to do the night check in a different way. Yes. Very excited to introduce Jeffrey Schwab. He's the founder and CEO of Protequis. He is an accomplished equestrian and biomedical engineer, having spent more than 15 years in human health care and founding and operating one of the largest privately held medical marketing firms in the United States. Immediately following the sudden loss of one of his horses in 2013 from a rare colic event overnight, Jeffrey was driven to make a difference, and he assembled a team of passionate science and technology professionals to create a solution and combat this impact of equine colic, which claims the lives of over 60,000 horses. There you go, in the U.S. each year alone. Today, that solution is an early warning system known as Nightwatch. Nightwatch is the world's first smart halter that alerts caretakers at the early signs of colic and other forms of equine distress, such as foaling and being cast in a stall. Hi, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you on today. So let us know, where are you located today? Where are you calling from? Yeah, well, I'm actually very glad to say I'm back in Austin, Texas. I've been on a 11-day road show, if you would, so very happy to be home. So, Where all were you? Oh, mostly on the West Coast. We've been um, involved with a lot of the jumping events on the West Coast last week, as well as up in uh, the New York area, and then doing some installations um, in between. So it's been a whirlwind, and back to Scottsdale tomorrow to uh, work with uh, some of the rainers. Oh, my, so you're really home for just a little short blurb, but then you're back out again. Indeed, indeed. But uh, obviously, we love what we do, so uh, really hard to qualify it as work. Well, I am so excited that we were able to meet. I believe we met at the American Horse Council meeting a few years ago, and um, I was very enthused about this product. I had never seen anything like it before. So go ahead and share with us a little bit more about how you got started in horses and what prompted you to develop the Nightwatch Smart Halter. Sure. Um, So I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire, did not really come from a family of wealth, but I knew one thing, and that is I loved horses. And so I was that typical kid who was picking, you know, rocks out of the arena in exchange for riding lessons and developed a passion for them very early on with the intention to go to vet school. But like all good intentions, they don't necessarily work out. So ended up doing a biomedical degree, ended up uh, in New York for 15 years. And then in 2013, as you mentioned in the intro, we lost one of our show horses um, to a rare type of colic, um, despite there being two caretakers on the property. And so that was the pinnacle moment um, where I said, you know, we can be doing better for these animals, especially overnight when they're largely unsupervised. And so it's been a, a solid six-year labor of love and uh, pleased to now have the smart halter fully available 
um, to horse owners, trainers, and vets as of this spring. So, uh, like I said, it's been a long journey, but one that's uh, been well worth the wait. Well, tell us so our listeners understand um, what exactly how Nightwatch works and what makes it different from any other wearable technology for horses that might be out there. Sure. We get asked this question a lot. And so I would say at least, um, if not more than half our, um, I would say people in the community know us as the smart halter more than they know us as the night watch halter. And what I mean by that is we have just over two ounces of sensor technology embedded into the top portion of the breakaway leather halter that monitors real-time information on the animal's vital signs as well as their behaviors. And I think what's really unique about this product versus, you know, the many other wearable tech um, products for horses is we're focused on one thing, and that is we want to give your your horse the best chance at a superior survival outcome through early intervention. So we focus almost exclusively on health and survival outcomes where a lot of the others bring wonderful value in more of that performance tracking, you know, providing insight to the animal's gait or cadence or distance traveled while you're exercising and riding them. Um, And I think what's also very important for, you know, anyone to recognize is, you know, this is not intended to displace horsemanship in any ways. It's still very important um, for all of us to keep our eyes and hands on our horses, what we're really doing is pulling back that veil and offering some transparency and objectivity into what makes our horses tick and what good looks like so that we can get to them sooner, especially overnight, again, when something goes awry, like a colic event or stall casting or your broodmare who's going to have a foal. So for our people that are listening, and this includes me as of just, you know, a few years ago, I'm starting to get more and more techie, but explain to us how it works. So is there an app that you put on your phone and then you get alerted by your phone, by your bed? How does it all work? Yeah. So there's, I would think there's two ways to view this. There's the actual device, which is, as mentioned, it's a one inch triple stitch, all natural leather breakaway halter with just two ounces of technology in it. And within that um, crown portion, all the magic happens. We acquire information on the horse's heart rate, respiration, their activity, posture, and motion, and it makes a decision because of the AI or artificial intelligence on the, the device of whether your animal is in distress. And if they are in distress, it is going to notify you or up to four additional people via a text message, a phone call, and an email And it continues in a round-robin fashion until somebody acknowledges that alert because I'm sure um, many of the listeners are like me, and that is we are asleep at 3.30 in the morning. And so it's possible we may miss a text. And so if that is not acknowledged within the first three minutes, it rolls over to the next person in command. So you really get to personalize it and create your own extended care team. And those could be to, you know, your you know, barn manager, trainer, your vet, um, or anyone who's in the closest geo proximity to your animal. That is, that's just awesome. So, and you already kind of answered this question, but I know for a lot of us, you know, we don't like leaving halters on because we're worried that they're going to get stuck on a fence or they're going to get their hoof caught through it or something might happen. Um, But you did say it has breakaway. Is that right? Yeah, and I think the first thing is to, you know, understand, I've spoken to many vets over the last six years about this, and, 
you know, natural leather has a very low tensile or breakpoint strength versus synthetic nylon. And so, you know, truthfully, I was one of those people for decades where my horse trainer said, oh, my God, don't leave anything on your horse. A lot of that is driven by, you know, the fear of synthetic products as opposed to, again, a natural leather um, halter, let alone one that has breakaway features. And I think, you know, there's, you know, I don't want to say wise tales, but we've all been told things like don't stand in front of the microwave, you know, that you're going to end up with brain cancer, you know, and over time and through education, a lot of that, you know, um, concern has been, been dispelled. And so I think, you know, we're trying very hard to also share the information from the vet community and others um, about the safety of leather halters, which are used quite often, as you can appreciate, in vet clinics um, on horses 24-7, as well as, you know, those that are turned out. And what has some of your data shown you, Jeffrey, in regards to, is this mainly helping colicky horses, horses that are cast, um, horses that, you know, broodmares that are about to full, or is it really a combination of all of them? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because when we did our beta launch of this product in April of last year, we were under the um, belief and suspicion that most of our early adopters were going to be people who had healthy horses who just wanted to have some peace of mind at night by being being alerted if there was a problem and also having that transparency of insight through, um, you know, an app. However, to our surprise a little bit, most of the people who um, purchased the device in the first 30 days were people with sick horses. And so these are people who may have an animal who just looked a little off um, one day and they wanted to have some higher confidence to share information with their vets. So they purchased the device. We had a lot of people who had broodmares who were going to be foaling and they purchased the device. Um, you know, there's people on across the spectrum with, you know, very high profile, expensive horses to horses that they've had, you know, for 30 years and they just want to give them, you know, the best added protection they can. So, you know, the uptake has been quite diverse, but I think, um, you know, it's pretty balanced in terms of people who want to get ahead of a problem, which is what this product is designed to do versus those who just want to have the product on the shelf ready to go when there is a problem. I guess it's not a surprise when you really think about it. Human nature, right? We're, we only do things when we think we have to do something. Um, nobody prepares for the hurricane two months ahead of hurricane season. You know, we, we just don't, right? <laughs> That's so, exactly right. Yeah, so... That's so, exactly so, right. And, and I know that we talked to you, I think, I think it, right when it was first coming out. Um, so what else has surprised you about the reaction to this? You know, I think what's been a little bit um, of a surprise is honestly people who acknowledge that colic is a problem, um, but we all, including myself, have become very complacent to say, well, that's not going to affect me. Mm. Yes, I've heard about that story and that horror story. And what's really unfortunate and sad is we get phone calls every day from those same people who say, ugh, it happened to me last night. And Again, I have owned horses for more than four decades. I've shown them, I've bred them, and we never had an issue with colic. And the only time we had an issue was when we lost one of our youngest and healthiest horses. And so I think, you know, what's still surprising is we know the fear and concern of colic, 
but we're not motivated to do anything until there's the problem. Similar analogy as you just mentioned. Yeah, human nature again, right? I mean, until it's on you. Yeah. And so, you know, we really believe that we are just, you know, scratching the surface to open the dialogue up to say, we love our horses. When we're with them, we do everything other than bubble wrap them. But at night, we've all become very comfortable and, you know, somewhat complacent to rely on hope and prayer. And the truth is, we don't have to rely on that anymore. And so it's going to take time. And we're big believers in education. And so we want to open up that dialogue and learn what are the other concerns people have so we can make a better product. Well, and I think, too, you know, like like with anything else, no, it, price point is an issue at first when a product first comes out. And it tends to, and I don't know if this one's going to, do you foresee the price coming down like a lot of technology does over time? Um, or do you think... I tru- yeah. yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No. I, I truly hope so. Um you know, one thing that's very new and um, this, uh, you know, discussion is timely because on Friday of last week, we relaunched a new website. And on that website, we are now offering financing. I saw that. I just product. was looking at that. By the way, the so, website looks great. I've just done it. Oh, thank you. So, yeah. So we're hoping that that makes this type of solution much more obtainable to people who have maybe been thinking about it or are waiting for the right time. Um, and so, you know, we believe it's the right thing to do, you know, similarly why we're not working with third party resellers today. We want to keep this price point as low as possible to make it as obtainable to as many people as possible. And so, you know, trying to do the right things right. But, um, I do sincerely hope that we'll be able to continuously work to improve the price point, you know, on this product. How about durability? Have you, again, I, you know, we talked to you a year ago now. Uh, have we found durability to be good? I, I just I know it's one of the questions I've asked you before. Yeah, you know, it's we get that question asked quite often. And now that we have, you know, horses who have worn the device, you know, relatively consistent for more than a year, um, it's wearing exactly what, like we thought. And what I mean by that is, for horses that wear the device um, outside and the leather is exposed to elements, you I mean you do start to see the breakdown of the natural leather and things of that nature, but nothing that's causing any type of, you know, early break or separation. Um, but you know, truthfully, there are still those few horses that you know they're going to find that right perfect angle and they're going to slip it off their head and they're going to use it as a chew toy throughout the night and. I'd love to say that we haven't had some failures, but we've had definitely a few failures for horses who get the device off and decide to play with it. But um, I could show you video that you would be amazed at in terms of the durability that this thing can uh, take and keep on kicking. And now, is the is the technology all in the crown piece? It is. So it my is. question and then so, is, before you, you know, go that, on, could you then keep the crown and replace the bottom part of the halter if you had to? Yes, you can. Okay. Yes, you can. We we sell it all as a system now because we don't want people to have to worry about um, fit and performance of fitting with their existing halters. And we want to ensure, you know, the breakaway feature of the entire system. But, uh, yes, you can replace the lower headstall with just the crown that has the technology. And I did notice, too, sorry, Christy, I'm taking over here, but um, I did notice, too, that uh, you have the option of having an adjustable chin now. So it definitely has gone through some upgrades since I even looked at it last. 
Yes, thank you. We, you know, found that especially some of the uh, smaller breeds or those with refined cranial structures, let's say, for example, some of the Arabian breeds, they really required a little more of a tailored fit um, um, for both, you know, comfort and aesthetics. And so now the adjustable chin is available as well as a brow band. And, you know, I'm sure for many of your listeners, if you look back in literature into not that far long ago, the brow band was very, very common um, use in conjunction with the halter. It wasn't relegated to just a bridle. And so for um, some of our older school customers, we wanted to incorporate that as an optional accessory as well, which offers a little more stability on rotation as well on, you know, sort of those um, mid, mid to smaller size horses. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you, Jeffrey. I wanted to say, does this fit a mini all the way up to a draft, or how are you kind of handling all the different sized animals out there? Yeah, unfortunately, the technology does have a um, fixed form factor length, and so we do not offer it um, in a size that would be appropriate for minis at this point. Um, we just feel as though it would be really, you know, negligent of us to call us a safety device, but then to put, you know, this five and a half inches of electronics, which would move the stainless steel hardware very, very close to those minis eyes. Um, it's just not the right thing. So we offer three sizes, a cob standard and oversize, as well as um, more custom or bespoke for some of the larger draft breeds as well. So, very so I noticed po I have a hackney pony. And then, I don't know. He he has a bigger head, so maybe he'd fit the cob. Um, so, is there any hope for ponies in the future, or um, do you still have to get the Absolutely. technology down, you know, smaller to make that happen? Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And we do have a few hacking ponies similar to probably the size of yours who do have the device. And so there's no issues there. Um, we just want to be fully transparent and say that while we hope to accommodate every horse, um, it's just uh, not practical today. But yes, as the technology gets smaller, and really it's the batteries, the mm -hmm. rechargeable lithium polymer batteries, which are the same as in your own cell phones, that takes up more than 60% of the volume. And so once we, through collaboration with different industry partners, can get more energy-rich batteries, we'll be able to reduce that volume, um, you know, and be able to accommodate the smallest of, of animals. What the heck? We're still hoping for better batteries in our cell phones, <laughs> let alone our horse <laughs> <laughs> like... Very true, very true. <laughs> so, Jeffrey, how does somebody find out more? What is that website address for them? Yeah, it's just smarthalter.com, or they can search for smarthalter as a handle across any of the social channels. Very good. And do you have um, like a Facebook page where people are discussing it and giving reviews on it and things like that? We do. And we're very active on the social channels and we encourage people to share, you know, their feedback, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, again, we're not too proud to think that we have cracked the code for colic or created the perfect solution. Um, but we do believe we have advanced what horsemanship can look like and, you know, again, encourage all the feedback and the questions um, so that we can, again, develop a better product. 
Well, I love that you've created another tool for our toolboxes, right, to be able to help with what is still the number one killer of horses. And that number that you mentioned at the beginning, the 60,000 that was in your bio that I read, that's that's a phenomenal number and it's current and up to date. So that just shows you, you know, any tool that we can have for our horses to be able to help them is just wonderful. So thank you for your passion and for creating this device. Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity, both of you. It's been, uh, again, a great experience to uh, communicate this need. And, you know, we hope to be here for many, many decades to come. Thanks, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeffrey, for being on the show today. All right. Thank you both. Take care. Well, they have improved it a lot since I saw it last. Um, we had them on, I think, right in the early days when it was first coming out. Um, and it definitely has improved. There's a lot more options, and, uh, you know, price point's always an obstacle with, with technology, right? It's still right. always the thing that's going to be the obstacle. I mean, these run... Uh, for the bundle, they run nine ninety nine. Uh, for just the halter, they run seven ninety nine. So there's different price points there, but um, I can I can certainly see it in many many cases. But I think now that he's going to do financing, that's going to be very helpful. Yeah, and good for him to offer that. Yeah, that, I saw that, that, that on there. And and you know anything you can do to make something that might, has the potential of saving your horse more affordable, or, or you know, right? Because uh, a lot of people can't come up thousand dollars up front, but could do that. Right, they could do 50 bucks a month or whatever yeah. the case may be. Right, yeah, absolutely. Right. So well, very good. It was really good to have him on. I'm I'm excited to see what else ProtectWiz comes up with in the future because, you know, that is a whole company and Nightwatch is just one of the products. So I think there's going to be other technology coming up because of his background, you know, with being a biomedical engineer as well as human health care as well as now really involved in the horse industry. So we'll see. That, that'll be exciting too. Well, before we get to our next guest, I wanted to mention that the Certified Horsemanship Association at CHA.horse, uh, you know, I have a .horse, I have podcast.horse, but I don't think I've ever even pointed it to our website. I got to get that done. You um, need to get on that. I know. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. So uh, at, on your website, you have a list of clinics because obviously your instructors are doing, you know, you, the ones you train are doing clinics all over the country. And there's a list of clinics. There's a bunch of them in September and October. So people are, definitely want to go on there and take a look at the clinics. You can search clinics by date. You can search clinics by uh, location as well. So uh, you can put in there, I want to see clinics in Florida or the Southeast or something like that and find out what clinics are going on. But there are some different fun ones. And, uh, uh, you know, and also your camps are in here too, right? Yes. Yeah, so, and when you go under clinics, um, anything that says clinic is actually a certification for either an instructor or an equine facility manager. And if it says skills workshop, then that's for the masses to um, learn more about either becoming an instructor or just more about horse care in general, all depending on what the topic is. So yes, please do go. And then the other place that I think gets overlooked a lot on our website, but is very important, we have a job postings page. So for those of you out there looking for work, um, whether it's, you know, you're in high school, you just want a summer job, or whether it truly is something that you want year-round, a lot of our camps and our Lesson Barn programs are posting their that? jobs up there. You go under um, the Education tab, oh, and then also you can find it under the Instructors tab, where it says Find an Instructor. There's job postings there, too. Oh, cool. And, yeah, I'm and they're, they're all over the country. There's a bunch of them listed here. There are. So I always just want to let people know, I think it's kind of a secret thing that we don't share very often and we need to do a better job of that. But hey, that is certainly something. There's a there's a equine instructor needed at the Phoenix Zoo. Isn't that great? They have an entire <laughs> 
horse riding program at the Phoenix Zoo. Really? They actually do certifications there for instructors. Oh, yeah. It's a very vibrant program. They do a driving program. You should go check it out, Glenn. They have a full driving thing there. They've actually held one of our driving certifications. They're a fantastic program member. Oh, of and they're seeking a barn supervisor at Colonial Wounsburg. Yes. Isn't that cool? That's so, cool. They're a really neat program. They're also going to start certifying all of their staff out there for all their reenactments um, through our equine facility manager program as well. And so, yeah, we have them on both sides of the country, all kinds of jobs in there for those that want to go and check that out. Do you know that's where that's where I asked Jennifer to marry me? Was it uh, Colonial Williamsburg? That's right. Oh, did you get down on your knee? I did. I don't remember much about it. And probably nice. Jennifer doesn't either because it was like 32 years ago. But but that's where we oh. did it. Was it Colonial It's one of my favorite places. That's pretty awesome. I did not know Do that. Do you remember anything about it, Jennifer? I remember I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> and I remember it was the first time I ever had peanut soup and it was really good. I remember her liking the peanut soup. I, that's what I remember about the yes. trip. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's get to our guest. All right. So our next guest is Marla Foreman. She has been teaching riding and training horses nearly her whole life. She is a CHA master instructor for us. And I'm going to let her explain all these acronyms here in a second. But she's also an ICP and a USPC, and some of you probably know what they are, national examiner and a primary level TAG teacher. She ran her own training stable for 20 years in Washington State, teaching riding to students of all ages while also running a veterinarian practice and training horses for clients, mainly in dressage and eventing, but also training and competing her own horses in endurance and also penning. Always open to new ideas and a lifelong learner as a teacher and trainer, she has a deep grounding in classical horsemanship and has also explored the work of folks such as Buck Branneman and Brian Newbert. In 2000, Marla began studying the field of behavior science and positive reinforcement training. In 13, she closed her business in the Pacific Northwest and moved to Quebec to work for Cavalia at their home farm using positive reinforcement to train horses and students. Marla currently lives in Massachusetts, teaching clinics and working with individual clients and their horses, also using positive reinforcement. Hello, Marla. Welcome to the show today. Hello. Good to have you on. So where are you today? Are you at your home in Massachusetts? I am. So tell it's us a, a little small bit farm. about your um, location there. Where are you located? Massachusetts is relatively large. <laughs> I'm in Pepperell. It's northwest of Boston and just about 10 miles south of the New Hampshire border. Very nice. I want to, before we dive into the topic today, I want to hear a little bit more about your past. So I just recently saw um, Cirque du Soleil. It's here in Denver, and it's just fabulous. Whenever it comes, I try to see it. I've seen almost all the different Cavalias and things that have come out over time. How was it to work for them? How was that experience? Um, it was really interesting. I spent a little bit of time at the show, a couple of weeks, to get oriented with what they were doing. Um, and then mostly, I this seems really odd, but I trained horses to retire. And what does that mean? Um, <laughs> you have to decompress. So the, particularly the stallions came off of the show, fit, working six days a week. You know, a stallion that was chosen because it has a lot of presence and exuberance handled by experienced horse people. And they were supposed to go back and be walked out to their paddocks every day with grooms who were 
you know, horse people, but not experienced in handling anything other than like their own horse at home. Yes. So, um, and then I trained some horses to go to the show. I didn't do the Roman riding or trick riding or any of those things, but <laughs> the basic training I did for them. So now I'm going to want to know, how do you train a horse to decompress? Um, well, it's sort of interesting. Basically, I took them out for a while and then let the other grooms bring them in. And I trained the grooms to handle them better, uh, to handle them, give them a little more freedom, and yet still be in control. Got um, it. So what they wanted to do when you have the hyper horse is hold on tight, and that just doesn't work. Right. They get even more claustrophobic feeling, and they don't like that at all. So we right. had mentioned some acronyms when I read your bio. So let's go ahead and tell those to people. What is ICP for those that might not know? It's the Instructor Certification Program for Eventing. Very good. And then USPC? Is the United States Pony Club. Yes. And you've been doing that for quite and a while then, yes? Yeah, the lower levels are tested by local people, but the upper levels have they have national examiners who go around the country testing the higher levels. I was just asked to be a speaker uh -huh. in Seattle at their convention next spring. Are you going to be there? Mm -hmm. Yay. Um, get to see. Maybe. Haven't decided okay. yet. <laughs> okay. Well, I know I see you next month at our conference, but I thought maybe I could do that too. I literally yes. just got that email a couple days yes. ago, so I'm excited to go for that. Oh, cool. Cool. And then um, tell me what TAG stands for as a TAG teacher. It's Teaching with Acoustical Guidance. Um, it was started by um, Teresa, who um, taught gymnastics. And it was a matter of breaking things down so there's only one point you're looking at. And you mark with a sound. For them, it was usually a clicker or a whistle. when the student does that piece. So maybe they're doing a backflip and you mark that they pointed their toes when they hit the apex of the flip. That's an example in horses. How, what would you tag in teaching horse riding? So it might be that they're keeping their heels level or below level, below their toes, level with or below their toes. God. And the nice thing is, is it doesn't even require anybody with experience to mark it. So it can so be like even the parent the could do is, it or somebody. Yeah. You can say the point is the heel has to be level with or below the toe or below the stirrup. And then anybody around, you could have parents around the ring marking that. I think that's, that's good. That's clever you, thinking. Uh-huh. So, or you could say, you know, I want the shoulders over the hips. And if it's in front or behind, it doesn't count. And then anybody can mark that. So, Marla, how did you get started in horses? I, I, I know I read your bio, but go ahead and give <laughs> us kind of your, your lowdown on how your journey happened. I grew up on a ranch in New Mexico. Um, yes, yeah, so I grew up with horses. Um, and then when I was in college, my roommate's family rode English, so I started doing that. And then in vet school, I took dressage and jumping lessons so I could have a chance to ride once a week. <laughs> Now, when you went uh, to vet school, did you plan from the outset to become a equine vet, or did you have a plan at that point? Not specifically, no. 
Um, I was really thinking more small animal and then do horses on the side, but horses um, on the side. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what got you started with, with positive reinforcement? Was there one of those things where you saw someone in the clinic or read an article or watched a video? How, cause a lot of, a lot of folks <laughs> who come across positive reinforcement training, there's kind of a light bulb moment when they hear about or see or talk to someone and go, where's that been all my life? How did, how did that happen for you? Right. Um, well, two things. I read Karen Pryor's book, Don't Shoot the Dog. And about that time, I had a couple of totally opposite horses that were being very difficult for me to figure out what to do with. Um, one of them basically just said, you can't make me do anything. And the other one and he said, was right. Oh, he yeah. was right. we can't make them really do anything. Bright, really sharp. He was very big. Um, Irish sport horse. and he was right. You couldn't make him do anything. And the other was a little Anglo-Arab mare who was just as hot and flighty as could be. And I couldn't get her to relax. So I started playing with it. When you started playing with it, um, what were some of the challenges of getting the knack of it? Because it's, it's so much more than just clicking a clicker and giving the animal right. a treat. It's a very... Right. It's it's a very um, observation intense skill set. What were the things that some of the things of the process that you struggled with early on to make it as successful as it could be? Right. I think I've been working my whole life to get the observation as good as possible um, because it's important with any horse training. Um, but I think things like um, trying to figure out what to set up for the flighty mare that she could relax a moment that I could click and reinforce. And for the one who didn't want to do anything, um, knowing how to increase the challenge. Um, one of the things that happened early on is I was going to click if he would go forward and trot when I asked, say. And I clicked for like three strides of trot. And I did that like three times. And the fourth time I said, we're going to go for four strides. And he stopped after three strides and said, the rule is three. Yes, <laughs> I've experienced that. Oops. <laughs> I thought maybe awesome. three times was safe, but three times was too many. <laughs> so what? So what? What was your next step? Um, I worked with um, somehow ran into and worked with Alexandra Kurland for mm-hmm. like ten years. Um, doing, she came out to Washington and did clinics, and I went to those. Um, and I finally decided the Irish sport horse didn't want to do what I wanted to do. So I let him go on to do, he wanted to do big show jumps and that wasn't really my thing. Um, another, another and, important equestrian skill is to understand when the career path that you have chosen for a horse is not the career path that he is going to be passionate about. And it's appropriate right, it's, to let him go on to a career path that he can be passionate about. Cause sometimes, like you said, yeah. the horse wants to be a jumper and you don't, and no amount of training is going to change the fact that he's not passionate about what you want to do. Very interesting. So uh, you let him go on and, and uh, enjoy a career in something that he could get really excited about besides cookies. And then yes. what, what happens next? Um, so I kept the Anglo Arab mare and we went on to intermediate level eventing. Um, on an Arabian up, mare. 
yeah, half Arabian. She's Arabian thoroughbred. Um, wow. Yeah, not very big, but she could fly um, and loved it. And she ended up being a school horse. Isn't that interesting? So she had, she she figured it all out. You figured she her figured out. It all. She figured you out. She relaxed, yeah. and she actually she used her as a school horse for experienced riders, but still. Right, right. So what are some of the differences? So we're using positive reinforcement for the human now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, the, the explain, because the, the clicker in, in, in and of itself is not a reward. The clicker is a bridge signal. Can you explain for right. folks who maybe haven't tried it yet what that bridge signal really does? Okay, so what it does is it marks the exact moment that you're doing that the person or the animal is doing what you want them to be doing. Um, it's very precise. So what happens um, next then is you click that and you say, at that very second you were doing exactly what I want, and the horse has right. already been preconditioned to know that when he hears that noise, he knows he it would be a good thing to repeat that because eventually there's going to be some big-time reward involved. Yes. So how do you do that with humans? Yes. Do you give them a candy bar? Well, um, for most a glass of wine. Writing, I want a glass of wine. <laughs> for most adults, knowing they got it right is pretty much reinforcement enough. <laughs> um, for some, it can be that if you get this right ten times, then we'll at, then we'll move up a step. Got it. Okay. Um, for kids, I would actually let them count it off with a counter, a little tagulator where you can pull beads down. Um, and then depending on the kids, sometimes give them a little prize, let them choose from a little basket of prizes when they get back to the barn. Just like when they went to the dentist, my children always wanted the prize after the dentist. (laughs) That's the only reason I could get them to go to the dentist was for the little prize. (laughs) For a lot of things, getting it right is good enough, but for some, for kids, for some of the hard things that they don't really see the point of having something that they win is really helpful. Right. So I know we talked about using positive reinforcement. Let's dive into the other topic that you're going to be doing at our conference um, next month in October in regards to successive approximation and teaching. What is the definition of that? It means breaking what you want down into little tiny pieces and building them really little tiny step by step. So give us an example. Let's say you're trying to teach somebody to post the trot for the first time. How would you work that type of process into play? So what I would start with is helping them find the, maybe it's a walk, helping them find the right angle of their upper body so that they can rise correctly. So I would just say that, you know, we'd find the correct angle of the upper body for the balance. And then I might click them just walking around for going from sitting upright to finding the forward position to post. Um, and then teaching them each little piece, making sure their leg is under them in the proper position. Can you raise your body forward and keep your leg in position? Um, and then now can you begin to shift your weight up? Um, so, and it depends on the person as how I break that down because it depends on the person as to which piece is a problem. But sure. I, instead of trying to make it one piece, I'm going to try to break it down into as many little pieces as possible so they can practice each piece separately. 
I love that until they get it all together. So I know one of the things for uh, most of us as writing instructors that we fear, especially in the group writing environment where you don't just have one in a round pen or on a lunge line is first canter or right. first lope for yes. you Western folks. So yes. how do you use your successive approximation in teaching for that first canter ride? <laughs> I usually cheated and have them do the first one on the lunge line. <laughs> you see how you are? And yet you've got our CHA master instructor. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> because I can break that down. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so how, um, how would you break it down? So basically I taught it by putting them on a horse with a vaulting sir single and a horse that I could cue to go from walk to canter. And then they held on with both hands and I cued canter and they went a couple of strides and I cued halt. And then it just continued building until they were really comfortable holding on. And then they turned loose with one hand and then turned loose with the other hand and then turned loose with both hands. And once they can canter bareback with both, neither hand, then they can have their own horse, which won't be nearly as smooth, but at least they'll be comfortable with the canter. Right. I like that. And then they won't have all the issues with the hands and the poor horse's mouth, which we see so much, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So vaulting singles are your friend um, when you're teaching, for sure, yeah. especially if you have the luxury of being able to teach privates. Yeah, they, they really do help quite a bit. So you're going to be speaking on this talk at our um, conference. Uh, so what do you anticipate mm -hmm. are going to be some of the steps that you'll be doing during that session? Um, I want to go through Tide Teach, the teaching with acoustical guidance, um, and how that builds the pieces of that, um, that you only work on one thing, that you're building it in little pieces, um, that it's the one thing we can discuss it in bigger pieces so I can sit here and tell, explain to you what I want you to do. But in the end, it has to be something small enough I can describe it in five words or less. You know, like all companies, yeah. they always say you should have a mission statement or it should be your why statement or your tagline. That is five words or less. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just because then you can remember yeah. it. So I love that. And you can break it down into a really small piece. Um, and then um, talk about the teaching with positive reinforcement and explaining what you want to do, finding the base piece of the problem. So if you're having a horse, a person who's stay drawing their legs up and not keeping their heels down, um, I can tell them to put their heels down, but what's the problem? Why are they having so much trouble with it? And try to find the piece that lets everything fall into place. And sometimes yes. that's an experiment. Yeah, it is like an experiment. Well, Marla, this makes sense. And I so appreciate you being on the show today and excited to see you in New York next month. Go ahead. And I know listeners can find you on chainstructors.com, which is our online database. Um, is there another right. place that you would like to send them? Do you have a website, a Facebook page, anything like that? Excuse me. I have a Facebook page for an equestrian arts and science. And I'm on LinkedIn. It's just Marla Foreman. Very good. Well, thank you again, Marla, so much for being on the show today, and we will see you in a month. Great. Looking forward to it. Well, why don't we take a little break before we get to our next guest for a song? And we, we by the way, I want to remind everybody, we are going to have a special musical episode. We haven't done one of those in a long time. Next Friday, we're going to have Jared Rogerson back on. He has a new album called Branch of the Tree. 
and I'm seeing here we, we have we have done a special musical episode with Jared every time he releases an album, all the way back to 2011. So look forward to that next Friday. Uh, but today we're going to listen to some Casey Smith with "I'm Gonna Fly," and we'll be right back. I've always been the shy and quiet type But in my time until the time was right Driving through life with one foot on the brake Missed every chance that I did not take Now I'm gonna do whatever I please No, nothing's gonna have a hold on me
Wow, that was Casey Smith, and that song is I'm Gonna Fly. So you can find all of her music at Casey Smith. That's Casey with a K, smith.com. And as I said, we'll have a special musical episode for you with Jared Rogerson next Friday. All right, your next guest is ready. So excited to have Valerie McCloskey on today. She owns Whisperwind Equestrian Center and VLM Dressage and Sport Horses. She trains, teaches, and does clinics. She has earned her USDF bronze and silver medals on horses she's trained herself and is currently working towards earning her gold medal. She is also a USDF L graduate with distinction and a CHA master instructor and also a clinician for us. Valerie enjoys teaching horses and riders of all seats, levels, and specializes in rider body biomechanics, showing people the hows and whys of how their body affects their horses. Hello, Val. How are you today? Great, Christy. How are you? I am good. And so are you in your home today in Rome, New York? I am. Can you explain to people where Rome is? Rome is in the middle of New York State, so it's a very rural area. I, we're about 30 minutes west of Syracuse. Oh, I love Syracuse and the track and everything there. That's a very nice yeah. place. And FU football. <laughs> yes. So how far are you from Houghton, where we're going to have our conference here next month? Houghton is about three hours southwest of me. Okay, so that's not too bad. So earlier on the show today, uh, Val, I was talking about your fall that you had and how you're willing to come to our conference next month and teach on crutches. Do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about that and how you're healing up? Um, sure. Uh, actually, it's going to be on a walker. They won't let me have crutches. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. You're well, a tough mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just um, an uncharacteristic moment on a typically wonderfully behaved horse not sure what happened and he just went a little bit rogue and <laughs> I just happened to land on the right spot you know being a little bit older things tend to I think break a little easier than when I was 20 <laughs> so, so I'm just stuck in the house now for a few weeks I'm um, recovering what did you break um actually I did a, a fracture impaction of my hip oh, where it got smashed in through the oh. ball yeah oh. so I had to have surgery and three pins Yes. <laughs> oh, boy, you don't do you. You decided exactly. to do it right this time. Was, yeah, yeah, I guess <laughs> I don't fall off often, but that's when I do. We'll, we'll get it done. <laughs> hey, we read a list of uh, what things people say to you when you fall off. Like uh, you know, you've been riding all this time. You think you'd know how by now. You know things like that. And it's so right. funny because one of the first things, and we've talked to many guests over the years that have just fallen off and are coming on and cast or whatever. And and they always say, you know, it, this horse, it's uncharacteristic of this horse to do that. And those are the ones that catch you off guard, too. Right. And why we should always wear helmets, because it's always the things that you would never expect to happen that happen. You know, it's not that I got on the, the crazy wild horse and saw off that one, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because one of our auditors posted the other day, I'm not going to say any names here, that she was letting somebody else ride her horse while she was away and the girl broke her hip. Sound familiar? Um, because the horse uh, spooked yeah. at a butterfly. <laughs> and this is a well-trained dressage horse. Spooked at a butterfly. Right, right, you know, yeah. so, who knows? Crazy, crazy stuff. You just have to remember, right? They're <laughs> flight animals. I know the, my last fall, right. because, you know, we've all done it. If you ride enough, right, it's going to happen. And was yeah. actually at a neighbor's house, and they wanted me to ride one of their horses. And we were cantering along while she had some bindweed in her arena, and it tripped him like a tripwire. 
It was crazy. And we both did a forward fold. Both of us did a roll. And we both got up and the owner of the horse goes, I wish I had filmed that because we both got up and we were absolutely fine. We both dropped our shoulders, feet in the air, came back up and stood and looked at each other like, wow, what was that? (laughs) So, yeah. As America's horse husband, I say when they're not trying to kill themselves, they're trying to kill us. So there's that. (laughs) So Val, it is so amazing. Your USDF bronze and silver medals and now working for your gold. Tell us how you got started with horses and kind of your journey and where what all you've done. Sure. So um, it started when I was four years old and my parents, I have a picture of it. It's kind of cute. Brought me for Christmas a rocking horse. I'm looking up at this horse with just amazement. And ever since then, my parents said I never shut up and it was horses, horses, horses. So then I got my first pony at five, um, you know, started riding, doing 4-H, um, started with Gymkhana, and then moved on to English and jumping, did some Western pleasure. And then I was very fortunate to find who I think everyone knows, um, Mitzi Summers, in my early teenage years, um, who was a good friend and mentor to me, and kind of brought me along and introduced me to dressage and centered riding. And that's kind of when I was, I'd say, in my 20s, where I really kind of embraced the centered riding and dressage. And and use that into all of my riding and training. So I jumped and did the hunter thing up until 2009, mostly, and then um, made the switch in 2009 to basically 90% dressage. That is um, wonderful. My horses, like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I just want to hear, you know, the, the kind of breeds of horses you have and who you've been doing the, the dressage work on and how that journey's gone. Yeah, so it's, you know, we start our businesses, I would ride whoever needed help. A lot of times um, I would ride problematic horses that people had written off and I kind of get great joy in finding out what the quote issue is and um, making that horse a better horse. So that's how my career started. And then again, through Mitzi's help, always infusing the dressage, which supples the body and the mind of the horse. And oftentimes that's where our blockages are and the fundamental problem with whatever is going on. So I've worked with, I sat down one day and wrote down all the breeds. It's amazing. A lot of breeds. Um, anything from ponies to gypsies to um, draft horses, the warm bloods, Arabians, quarter horses, minis. Um, I had donkey. <laughs> so I'll work with any breed of horse and have throughout the years. My current horses, um, now I happen to just like Hanoverians and I have two Arabians. And those are my personal um dressage horses that I'm bringing along. So I have some youngsters and then my mare who's schooling Grand Prix, which might be a long time. She tends to know more than I do at this point, she thinks. <laughs> so we're waiting for her to um, decide to listen to my age. And then I have a couple um, five and six-year-old horses that are coming along as well. So you have a pretty full barn. Do you do, do you have lesson horses? Do you teach on lesson horses? I do. Yeah, I do have... Um, a nice group of really good school horses and my school horses so that my students can get the right feel. doesn't matter if they're pleasure, Western English riders um, are all schooled through at least second level, some a little further. So yeah, I have a, a nice group and their draft crosses, their Arabians, one's an um, Oldenburg, one's a Hanoverian, one's a Morgan. So a little bit of variety, beginner to advanced and they all jump as well. Very nice. I wish I lived in New York and not Colorado. I come to ride them, take a lesson. That sounds really <laughs> wonderful. 
So you'll be teaching at our conference next month, Val, on leg yielding and side passing. Uh, What can um, Mm -hmm. the listeners that might be thinking about attending kind of expect from that talk? What all are you planning on covering? Sure. So with every lesson I teach, and especially in um, this situation, I like to start to get to know the horses with our riders to just ride around. And in that time, I also want my riders to have some body awareness. This goes into my biomechanics. Um, If we aren't aware of what our body is doing and where we might have blockages, then our horse isn't going to receive the aids that we're giving them. So I spend a lot of time just bringing awareness. We start at the top of the head and we just talk through our body and work all the way down through our feet. And during that time, I talk to them about trying to have awareness of where their horse's body is, where all four legs are and what they're feeling on both sides because it changes. So we spend 10, 15 minutes doing that in the warm-up, um, hopefully at all three gates. And then not knowing the horses or riders, we're going to start with maybe just turns on the forehand on the rail to introduce the idea to both the horse and rider of the inside leg to the outside rein and that diagonal half halt, which is going to take us into our side passing and leg yielding later on. So once I feel that we're, we're fairly proficient in understanding the inside leg to the outside rein, and we're not just, you know, overusing the inside rein and forgetting the leg as well, the timing of the eighth, and then we can kind of take that further and progress to leg yielding and then side passing. And within all that, depending what presents in the lesson, I have other exercises to help correct certain things. As we all know, we tend to, all of us, use too much inside rein and then the horse falls on the outside shoulder or we don't use our seat and legs and time with the horse's legs. So there are other things that I can incorporate in the ride to help people understand that as well. So Val, you mentioned specific blockages. Can you give us an idea of a specific blockage that you've seen in riders and what you've done to help them? Sure. Um, two, three areas, I guess I see very common um, now with being on phones and computers is our shoulders and our neck of the riders. Everyone I have to catch myself as well. We tend to be very rounded in our upper body, which tips our balance forward. And the other big thing that does is it kind of makes it difficult for us to engage our core. It makes it unavailable to us. So I go through exercises on how to open up the chest and lift up to the head and neck and bring our chin back. The other area is the lower back. Um, I know when I was younger, I was taught to do this, and I'm not sure why, but a lot of people are still taught to ride with a very hollow back and push their bum out, which from my medical background um, is not very functional or safe for our low back health. So we talk about how we can lengthen our spine, open the vertebral spaces, which again in turn will help us engage our core, and it will help our horse's back be soft because if our back is hollow, we're actually blocking unintentionally the horse's movement through our back. And then from there, the next spot, which I will have acute awareness of, (laughs) is our hips. I find most people on some level are very tight in their hips. So we have exercises to go through and the hips and your seat are what are actually attached to the horse. So we can receive and give and feel a lot of movement and aids through our hips and our seat. It's so funny that those were the three parts that you mentioned. We uh, worked on those three parts the other day in yoga. So there you go. I think it's kind of a... We do yoga at our barn just for that reason. (laughs) Do you? Uh Uh-huh. It's a universal theme. Those are the parts of our body that are stiff, sore, and stuck. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) 
a lot of blockages at all those areas. So go ahead and um, explain the difference for those that may not know between a leg yield and a side pass and give us an example of when you would want to use each one. Okay. Um, leg yield, think about a horse taking one step forward and then you ask them to take just one step sideways and then one step forward. Always straight, straight as an arrow. If you could image um, an arrow being shot from a bow, how it'd be going perfectly straight and maybe just the tiniest gust of wind would blow it slightly sideways for a moment and then it goes straight again. So that's what the feeling we want in the leg yield, but most importantly is not losing any forward momentum or impulsion or the, the ability to go forward. And it's not that the horse falls on the outside shoulder and just ends up going at an angle. So in the side pass, we're asking for a little bit more sideways movement. Still with a forward thinking, the horse should feel like it's going forward. We're asking for more of a sideways across the arena. A leg yield, um, I use that sometimes if I'm on trail. If I'm trail riding and there might be something in the way, maybe I'll leg yield over. Use that for a schooling exercise. Um, Sometimes the side pass I'll use when I, I do this with all my horses. I try to open the gates while I'm on them to go in yes. and out of the arenas. Or I'll side pass over a ground pole um, in the arena just for schooling. So it does supple the horse's hips and their, their abdomen and their back as well. And do you find that horses get stuck in the same exact places we do? And what are some exercises you do to fix them? Because I know you said you like to do biomechanics of both horse and rider. Right. Right. Yeah. So in centered riding, there's something called comparable parts. And um, if the rider is really stuck in their neck and their shoulders, almost always we'll find the horse as well. If we're stuck with, I talked a little bit about this in the back, the horse will be as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, some of the things that we can do first, again, we adjust the rider and then, I'm sorry, I'm just going to have a sip of water. And then what I find is the most helpful for horses is if they know lateral work is to do some lateral work, which is encouraging them to bend through their whole body. And if you do the lateral work in a way that the horse doesn't feel pressured and that they understand it, they emotionally and mentally relax. And then the body relaxes as well. So sometimes mental tension creates a physical tension or a physical tension creates mental tension. So we're trying to address both of those things. Um, so that will, I find leg yielding is a, a good thing to do. Even turn on the forehand is a great just warm-up exercise, teaching the horse to kind of elongate the outside of his body, yield on the inside of his body, getting more stepping under with the inside hind leg, encourage them to sit a little bit more, use themselves better. So I do a lot of those kinds of things. On a more advanced horse, a lot of um, shoulder and haunches in, which is a great suppling exercise in half pass, which is basically like horsey yoga or horsey gymnastics. And on the leg yield, can you do that at all three gates? And do you teach your students to do so? Um, yeah, I do, actually. I was in a clinic not too long ago, and I was riding a client horse, and the horse was very mentally um, tense. And the clinician said, well, what are you gonna do about it? So I said, well, this is what I do. And I, I did with that horse and he was really short back, so it did help him. A lot of walk trot canter leg yields. And she's like, canter leg yields? And I said, yeah, she goes, well, show me. So just in the canter, same idea, asking him to move away from the inside leg. And also we can move him back off the outside leg. So kind of doing these little zigzags. And if the horse is supple, asking some mild changes of flexion 
so that they're not stuck at the base of their neck and bracing in their shoulders. We want our horses ideally to feel like little gumbies, relaxed, and that we could position their body in any way, anytime, however we want, but that they physically feel that they could do that. So through all this lateral work and suppling, they become very loose over their back and their, their legs and their shoulders. I find and a lot of horses are very tense in the shoulders. We talk so much about the hind end, but not a lot about the shoulders. So I spend a lot of time working with shoulders. And do you do leg yielding just on and off the rail, or do you also do it through spirals and things like that? Uh, yes, anywhere. So we can, you know, spiral in and out on a circle, leg yield in and out, um, depending on the horse and rider. Um, again, a little bit more advanced, I would have them facing the wall, standing a couple of feet off the wall, and kind of leg yielding at an angle down the wall, um, across a diagonal, leg yielding and changing the bend and changing the leg yield at X. So doing little zigzags back and forth. So yeah, any any place on almost any pattern or figure. I think that's good. And for those of you out there that are in the Western disciplines too, um, leg yielding is used a lot. Sometimes you're going to hear it called two tracking because uh, your horse is going mm-hmm. on two tracks. But um, you know that I think is a just a really good thing to just let everyone know that this is good for all horses. Whether you ride in the arena, ride on the trail, just don't always go forward and backwards. Sometimes going sideways is very beneficial. Yes, absolutely. So Val, how can our listeners find you? I know you they can go to chainstructors.com, but what are some other avenues? A website, Facebook page, how would you like them to find you? Sure. Um, I do have a website, um, whisperwindequestrian.com. So that is out there. And I do have multiple Facebook pages. So my personal Facebook, Val McCluskey, is one I tend to post on most, and it's mostly um, educational things for my clients and other people. There is a Whisperwind Facebook page, and there is um, the VLM Dressage and Sport Horse, which is more geared towards the buying and selling of horses. And I just, I forgot to mention, um, started saddle fitting as well. So there's the saddle fitting page, VLM Sport Horse and Saddle Fitting. Oh, very good. And there is so much to that. That is a science in and of itself. Yes, it is. It was a little overwhelming, but I was kind of working doing that on my own anyway. And my mentor said, you should go and do this because you're basically doing it when I'm here. So it would be a good avenue for you. So I'm really glad that I did pursue that. So That's wonderful. Well, Val, I'm so excited to see you next month. And thank you for being willing to come to the conference, even with your walker and do this talk. That is going to be wonderful for your riders that you have and also for all the auditors that are going to be watching. So really appreciate it. Does it have the big fat sand wheels on it, the walker? (laughs) Um, No, no. This is the more refined looking one. You need like the big fat (laughs) sand wheels so you can be out there in the arena just wheeling around. Well, I thought of that. I don't know about the horses. I don't know how kindly they would take to seeing that coming at them. <laughs> you know, if if uh, Christy was any kind of leader, she would make sure you let, like had your own golf cart, you know, to <laughs> cart you around. Oh. Uh-huh. If she was any kind of leader, that would happen. Uh-huh. But... Now he's getting really fancy on us, isn't he, Val? <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. Thanks, Val. <laughs> Thanks, Val. See you All soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Sounded pretty good for a girl who just broke her hip and smashed it in and had surgery. <laughs> oh, like, my goodness. Isn't she a toughie? I'm telling you. It's awesome. Horse girls are tough. 
Oh my gosh. Horse and girls you horse are husbands are all right. You're tough too because you put up with us. Well, yeah. I mean, but we usually get the calls after like the time Jennifer uh, called me or I got home in the evening and she had a cast on her arm. And uh, I went to work in the morning. There was no cast. Came home in the evening. There was a cast. <laughs> she, it was my pony that broke her arm too. Knocked her over on the ground. And uh, she broke her arm, drove herself to the hospital, came back, and was doing the barn in the evening when I got home. With her arm in a cast. Yes. It just broken <laughs> her arm. And then there was the other time. I'm going to throw her under the bus. Uh, there was the other time. So I... I'm we, right here. <laughs> so we get to... Uh, we just are moving to Massachusetts. She's got this fancy job at Myopia Hunt Club. I had just gotten up there, I think. I think I she had moved up before I did, like a month before, I think. And then I had just gotten up there, and I we just moved in this place, and I get a call. It says, uh, Jennifer's at the hospital. And I didn't even know the person that was calling. I had no idea who they were. Uh, and I didn't know where the hospital was because I just moved there. So I finally got to the hospital and met her in there. And you, you, what did you, Was it an arm again that time? Uh, that was the that was the hand that was the navicular bone. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I forbid her from riding that horse ever again because uh, the horse apparently had a reputation for breaking riders. Um, and then I know she rode him again and just didn't tell. I was gonna say, so, did she listen no, to that? No. Uh-huh. No, I'm sure she. Didn't. I never rode that horse again when Glenn was looking. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you had just started the job too. Wasn't it your first week? Um, no, I'd been there for, I think, about two months. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But that horse had broken other people. You weren't the first one. Uh, I think the previous yeah, one got broken that, really bad, yeah, actually. That was, that was information that was ill-timed. Yeah, like after yeah. you broke your oh. arm. <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, the other person broke, like, both arms. I think it was both arms. A lot, oh, other... my. No, they they broke really their tough. leg. Oh, they broke their leg. Okay. Oh, it was a leg. Okay. Right. So which is better, a broken leg or a broken arm? Oh, mine. Just don't break anything. No breaks. <laughs> either. Yeah, ribs either aren't much better. fun either. I can tell you that. No, no, ribs are, I would say ribs are really bad because just breathing, coughing, anything. Anything, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> just anything. Oh. Anyway, all right. Well, this has been fun. Uh, so where can people find out more about the CHA? Yes, so you go to chainstructors.com if you want to find folks like Val near you. Um, and you go to cha.horse if you want to find out more about being an instructor, education for instructors, and also education for horse people as a whole, and also to attend our international conference next month if you are so inclined. We would love to see you. Very good. Well, we're going to be back again tomorrow. Jamie will be here. And if you did, if you missed yesterday's show, you have to go back and take a listen at, to the beginning of the show and listen to her s- funny story about the bulls. Uh, you'll know. Beginning of the show. It was hilarious. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow with that. Thank you so much, Christy. If you want to hear all the past episodes of the CHA, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com. Scroll down to the middle of the page. You're going to see all kinds of little banners there. Click on the CHA one, and it'll bring up all the past episodes we've done over the many, many years. So you'll, you'll find that there. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you again tomorrow. 